The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. You guys are looking good. Happy uh, unofficial first weekend of summer. All right. I know some of you maybe have a, um, a day off, an extra day off this week. Some of you are completely out of school this week. I hope, I hope you're uh, spending it well, not just sleeping and playing Fortnite. <laughs> if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Uh, and today we're starting a new series called Advance. And Advance just simply means moving forward. And that's what we want to do as a church. It's what we want to do as a body. That's what I want to do uh, as a Christ follower, is I want to move forward in my trust and my treasuring of Jesus for my life. And and so as a church, we want to trust Jesus. We want to treasure Jesus uh, for our lives as a church. And so we want to be a church that moves forward. If we've truly trusted Jesus and we truly treasure Jesus with our life, we also want to help others, help other people trust and treasure Jesus for their life because it's the greatest thing that you and I could ever experience. And so let me just start off by saying that if you're new here, if this is your first time, let me just simply welcome you. Uh, over the next three weeks, uh, I hope that these, these sermons actually prepare you uh, as an introduction for who we are. Uh, and, and really what we're about here at LifePoint Church. Uh, if, you're, if you're not a, a believer here, uh, let me welcome you as well. I hope that maybe this series will help uh, give you some clarity on the madness of who we are uh, as LifePoint Church because uh, we are doing some crazy things uh, for God. We believe healthy things grow. And so we are all in progress here. None of us have arrived. Uh, If you have been here for a while, I hope that this series actually paints a picture of remembrance for you of where God has brought us, what God is doing through us, and really where God wants to take us uh, as a body. And, And so my challenge for every one of us is that through over the next three weeks that we would take uh, some, some bold steps forward, if you will that we would really look at our lives and examine ourselves and say, okay, uh, Lord, how do you want me to grow? How do you want me to advance? How do you want us as a church to partner together to see your kingdom? Because every year as a church, we put before you guys uh, an ambitious God-sized goal. We normally challenge you. We normally uh, put together this God-sized goal of where we feel like God is leading us and taking us. And and so if you've been with us for a while, you remember a few years ago, as we prayed and we asked God what's next for us, we realized that God was calling us as a young church to start some new ministries. And so several years ago, we started a youth ministry. And so through our youth ministry, we've seen that grow. We've seen that bear fruit. We've seen uh, students and teenagers encounter the gospel like never before. Uh, We've seen these students grow not only numerically, but spiritually and as a community. And that has been an amazing ministry for us. Also, that same year, we were able to start LifePoint Fitness. And so LifePoint Fitness has been a huge aspect of who we are as a church, uh, reaching out to people who normally would not come into maybe a worship service. But every day through fitness, uh, people from our local community get to hear the gospel. Several years ago at the same year, we, we realized that God was uh, calling us to go and sending us out. And so we had this uh, three-year partnership with uh, Puebla, Mexico, where we could go and see people come to Christ, share the gospel with them 
them and see new churches start and new movements start. And, and because of that, we have a family that has actually moved from Puebla, Mexico to join us as a church. And so God is actually moving throughout the entire world through LifePoint Church. And that's only the vision that was a couple, uh, three years ago. But two years ago, God was calling us to uh, raise up and send and support more church planting, more movements for God. And so if you remember two years ago, we sent out John and Alicia Looney to Honduras. And they moved there permanently, and they started a ministry called Teach Me to Love Academy, where they begin to pour out and minister to families that have uh, kids with special needs, and they begin to share the gospel with them. And if you know anything about them, if you follow them this week, this week they were able to baptize 12 people that they've been sharing the gospel with that have came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's a big deal. And, and so we are so excited about weeks like this where we get to just really put before you really what's next. If you remember last year, last year we began to ask the question, God, what do you want to do with us? And we realized that God was wanting to uh, increase our facilities and he wanted to expand our location because we're filling up and we're running out of space. But at the same time, we realized that God was calling us to expand our efforts to our local community. And so last year, we started something called Fifth Saturday, where we would go out on Saturdays and we would begin to minister to the community and we began to do uh, community service projects and auto repairs. And uh, we began to uh, give uh, backpacks for back to school kids, if you remember that. And we were able to give 100 coats uh, to kids that needed coats for the winter. And actually, next month, uh, we've been so effective in the community that God has given us favor with that community, with a neighborhood, that we're sending over 40 kids to ranch camp, not including the church, but outside of our church. Yeah, we get to send them to ranch camp. Every day at ranch camp, they're going to actually hear the gospel of Jesus, have a chance to respond to Jesus, and actually see Jesus as their treasure for life. And so uh, if you remember last year around the spring, uh, we did a, a greater pledge, what it looks like to live a greater lives for the kingdom and for uh, the gospel. And, and so through our greater pledge and through our increase campaign, which happened the last three months of 2017, we were able to uh, generate $38,000 for a building expansion in the future. And so we have that ready to go where, when, and as soon as God tells us this is where we want you to go and this is how we want uh, to expand. And so we're ready for that. But not only that, already this year, in the first quarter of the year, we were able to generate over $6,000 just simply for missions, for church planting and moving the gospel forward outside of us. Already this year, our membership has increased. Uh, many of you are connecting in ways that you never had through life groups and special ministries. And listen, we have more volunteers now than we've ever had before. Now, that's good news if you've been in church. Because listen, most churches just have volunteers that just do more. We have more volunteers that do more, right? Are you with me? So we're increasing in our volunteer base and people are getting uh, in and serving and giving and cherishing uh, all that uh, is LifePoint Church. And so I just wanted to take a minute in this service and just simply ask you, would you just make a joyful noise for the Lord of all that he's done in the last several years here at the church?
Amen. Amen. I realize that God doesn't want us just simply be stagnant or be satisfied with where we're at, but he wants to advance us and move us forward. And I'm realizing as I'm trusting uh, and treasuring Jesus in my own life more and more, I realize that the Holy Spirit really has more for me uh, than I ever realized. And and some of you over this last year are are seeing uh, as you take faith steps, God has more for you. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about advance. And really what that means is where do we go from here? Uh, what, what, are we, what is God asking us? And I believe that it's going to require every one of us to do three simple things. And the first one is pray. The second is to prepare. And the third is to participate. And, and so the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to pray today. I'm going to ask you to pray and, and begin to ask God to bring supernatural unity and supernatural clarity and, and really a supernatural provision on uh, the vision that he's given us as a church. And, and so today we're going to have an opportunity to pray uh, what God and where God is leading us. Secondly, it's going to require each one of us to prepare. And, and I know that that sounds strange, but we need to ask God to prepare our hearts. We need to ask God to prepare our lives. We need to ask God to really prepare us for a journey ahead. We don't want to start off on a journey that we're not prepared for. And we don't want to do something for God that we're not really ready for. If you've ever prepared a garden or tried to plant some bushes or some flowers, you want to prepare the ground. And so listen, preparing sometimes means making adjustments. So if you're going to prepare a ground for, for a garden, you're going to get the rocks out. You're going to get the weeds out. You're going to put down some fertile ground so that whatever you put in there will begin to grow. And so some of you are going to have to start making adjustments in your life because God is going to call you to prepare for an incredible journey that's ahead. But, but the last thing uh, I believe God is calling every one of us to do is to participate. And, and basically what that means is just simply be ready to be obedient to whatever God's calling you to do. Be ready and be obedient. Even when it's hard, we need to give God our first and our best and say, we want to participate in advancing your kingdom and your glory. And so today, it brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's going to answer for us the why. Not necessarily the what, because that's coming. What we're doing is coming. But the why we do what we do. There has to be a why. There has to be a motivation that wants us or makes us desire to advance or even move forward. Most people in their lives, they're just uh, simply stagnant. They're not looking to move forward. They're not looking to grow. But we truly believe here at the church that healthy things grow. Amen? And so if we're healthy, we want to advance and we want to grow and we want to move forward. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 is going to talk to us about the why. We'll pick it up in verse 13. He says this. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. I love that verse. He says, listen, if it seems like we're crazy, I mean, if it seems like we're kind of out of our minds, it's because God, right? That's what he's saying. He says, if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you and your sake. It is for you, the church. For the love of Christ controls us because we have come to this conclusion. We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, 
but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, there's something going on here, and it involves living and dying and loving and sacrifice. And so in order to understand this text fully, we need to understand what's called the gospel. And the gospel is a word that we use around here that stands for good news. We have to see the text in light of good news. And uh, uh, the writer Paul, he doesn't leave us absent of what the good news is. He just puts it a little, a uh, few verses down. So skip down to verse 21. This is the good news. This is the gospel, particularly in just one verse. Look at verse 21. For our sake, everyone say our sake. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me explain that to you. The he there in that text is God the Father. The him there in the text is his son, Jesus. And so it was for our sake that he, God the Father, would send his only son, him, Jesus, who actually knew no sin. He never sinned. And he, Jesus, became sin for our sake, So God the Father sends him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in faith in Jesus, you and I might become the righteousness of God. That is what's called a great exchange. We need a righteousness above and beyond our own righteousness in order to get to God, in order to be unified with God. So what that means is that in, any, in order for any one of us to actually be reconciled back to God, to have peace with God, to be in a relationship with God, listen, we need a greater righteousness than your own works. So, so let me clarify. There's no amount of works no amount of religion, no amount of generosity, no amount of good behavior that would somehow bridge the gap from your sin to God's righteousness. There's no amount of work on your own. There's nothing that we can do religiously. There's nothing that we can do within ourselves to fix the gap that is between me and God. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Because I've fallen short of the glory of God. I I don't make it on my own. I can't cross the chasm. It's too great for myself. And so I need a savior. And the good news is that even though when I was dead in my sin and there was nothing I could do, Jesus came. And Jesus lived the perfect life that I failed to live. And he took all of my sin upon himself. All of the wrath of God that I deserve was placed on Jesus so that now, through faith in Jesus, I can be unified with God, not only in this life, but the one to come. Not only now, but forever in eternity. Jesus unifies me back to God because of his work alone. Now listen to me, because when that truth saturates your mind. I mean, when you really think about what Jesus has done for you, that he took your place on the cross and through faith, he gives you a crown of righteousness. I don't mean, there's days I don't feel very righteous, but he says, my righteousness is given to you because I've taken all your junk on me. When that news penetrates your mind, it changes you. 
It transforms you. Listen, it changes your hearts. And when your hearts are changed, it changes your life, doesn't it? I mean, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you see the world. And so what happens is verse 13 happens where he has to justify himself. Listen, if my life looks a bit crazy to you, it's because of the gospel. If, if, this, if this seems weird to you, if this whole uh, life of, that I'm living actually seems crazy, it's because God did something for me. And that changed me. That grabbed hold of me. That, that transformed me from the inside out. And so he's saying, listen, if our vision as a church, if our pursuit as a church, if your pursuit in life seems a bit crazy and radical, it's probably because you've experienced the crazy radical love of God. That's what happens when you experience God the way he is. So it seems like if we're out of our minds, it's, it's because of God. It's because of God. So what does it mean when verse 14 says, if we're out of our minds, it's for God, but we are controlled by the love of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be controlled by Christ's love? To be transformed in such a way that it changes us, that we're actually controlled by it. Listen, first of all, it means Jesus, he captures the first place of your heart. That's what it means. He's the first, he's the greatest, he's the highest in your heart. Look in verse 15. He says, the love of Christ controls us. And, and this is why, like he died for all. And those who live, this is what it looks like. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but rather now live for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, when the love of Christ controls us, you never seem to quite get over your salvation experience. I mean, I don't. I mean, just, I mean, do you ever just stop and think about the price that Christ paid for you? Do you realize how low and how dark your sin was? How big the chasm was between you and God? that you were actually at the bottom of the ocean dead in your sin, and he dove in and grabbed you and pulled you out of that water? Listen, do you realize, when you realize the love of Christ, listen, it, you never get over your salvation experience. You never get over it. You see, before, before Jesus, I've been a Christian for about 20 years, before Jesus, before I trusted Jesus, before I started treasuring Jesus in my life, let me ask you, do you know who I lived for? I lived for me. I was the only one on my radar. What's best for me? What's good for me? What's going to help me move forward? What's going to help me be better? What's, what's in it for me? That's what I want to know. How's this, this decision, this choice, this job, this thing, how's it going to work for me? But when I came to realize the great love of Christ for me, it changed me. And I no longer look at my life, what's in it for me? I say, how can this point to Christ? What is Christ doing? And some of you already, you're looking at me and you're like, Eric, that's crazy. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Listen, the gospel doesn't make sense. It doesn't. 
I mean, imagine this. Just imagine this, that God, the all-creator, almighty God, created everything there is. Mountains and stars and moons and animals and all the beauty that is the earth. And then he takes you and me and he creates us right in the middle of it all. And everything that he creates, he creates for his glory. Which means he created everything to point to that he is worthy of worship. All the stars, all the sun, all the moon, it points to how great, how grand, how glorious is God, including you and me. That's what he created us for. And so we have a heart that was created to glorify and worship God. But you know what we do? We actually take that glory, we actually take that worship, we actually take that love, and we rob it from God, our creator, and we put it on other stuff. And we say, God, you're not what I want. You're not what's going to satisfy me. This is what's going to satisfy me. So we, we are glory-thieving rats. We're adulterers. So we take the love that's given to us by God for God, and we actually spend it on other stuff. And in that moment, listen, this is what's radical. This is what doesn't make sense. God says, no, no, no I'm not going to let you get away. I love you too much. I'm not going to let you, you can't run far enough. You can't, you can't be bad enough because I'm going to come and I'm going to save you and bring you back to me. And how's he do it? Through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus. The gospel doesn't make sense. And so when a Christian is born again and, and people look at a Christian and say, that guy's crazy. His life, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't look like, well, yeah, because the gospel doesn't make sense. I mean, if someone says, man, you're crazy, it's because of God. It's because of God. And some say, you know, not living for yourself and living for Jesus, you know, that's, that's really no fun. You got to go to church, rather sleep. I don't know. It's the most glorious thing. Some will say, oh, you're never going to get rich that way. You're right. You're right, but my life must consist of more than the treasures of this world. It's never been the goal. So if we're besides ourselves, it's for God. If it looks like we're crazy, it's for the gospel because the love of Christ, it should control us. It should control our time. It should control our service. It should control our sacrifice. It should control our giving. It should look sacrificial. Listen, it should look radical. So I want to live a life that trust and treasure Jesus in such a way that, that it, it seems a bit crazy, that it seems that God is worth it. Now, let me be clear, because I don't, I don't want you to be confused. We don't give, and we don't serve, and we don't sacrifice because God needs. You with me on that? God is not needy. We're the needy. God is fully functional and capable to be God without us. Acts 17, it says, it says that, that we, we're, God is not served by human hands as though he needs anything, but he himself is the one who gives life and breath and everything to all mankind. And, and so here's the deal is God is not needy. God, God, God feeds 5,000 people with a Lunchable <laughs> that he created. He's not holding out his hat saying, please, can you, can you give me a little bit? 
Listen, when we give, when we sacrifice, when we serve, when we're generous, it's not for our sake, for, for the sake of the world so that they would know the gospel. Listen, when we do that, it shows our great value in God. He's so valuable to us that we would forsake anything so that I would know him more and you would know him also. And so we don't serve because God is needy. He's the one that gave. He's the one that gives. He's the one that took our condemnation and he gave us position and privilege and righteousness. So when the love of Christ controls a believer, then we take what we've earned, what we deserve, and we give it away. We lay it down for the sake of others. That's the gospel. Let me ask you, what does your generosity or your life tell about how you value Jesus? How does your life paint a picture of how you value Jesus? Let me ask you a better question. When when was the last time your generosity or sacrifice made someone question your sanity? When was the last time you gave in such a way that someone actually looked at that and said, that's crazy. Why would anyone do that? Why would you go there? Why would you serve that? Why would you sacrifice so much so that others could have? When was the last time your life made someone else say, that guy's crazy? How can we believers say, you know what, I trust Christ with my eternity and my soul, but I don't trust him with my earthly treasures and stuff. I don't trust him with my time. I can't make this up. How can we say, I've trusted Jesus with my eternity, but I don't trust him with my temporary? It doesn't make sense. And the world sees it. And it doesn't make sense to them either. Before I was married, I was 22 years old. And I was engaged to Stephanie at the time. And I was working for a company that was in in sales. And uh, it was, it was quite a, f- a fun job uh, when you sold stuff. But uh, we, we'd have these trainings. If you're ever in sales, you have these trainings, right? And so every week we'd have these trainings. And in, in these training classes, there, there'd be about 25 or 30 of us come and be trained and be encouraged and rah rah and then sent out to sell. You know, you know what I'm saying? So I, I was about 20 years old, and I was in these, one of these trainings. And uh, one of the managers, or actually the owner of the sales company, he, he actually said, hey, uh, for a kind of a team-building thing, why don't we go skydiving? Oh, okay, I'm 22, so I feel immortal. That's what happens when you're 22, right? From the age of like 15 to like 24, you feel like nothing can hurt you, right? And so I'm 22, and I'm like, that's awesome. Let's do that, right? And so we make the schedule to go skydiving, right? And so we make the plan, and then on skydiving day, we're all going to meet, and we're all going to ride together on skydiving day, and on skydiving day, about six of us showed up, (laughs) right? The other 25 people are like, that's crazy. No, thank you. Anybody like that in here? All right? 
A few of you? Okay. They're like, that's crazy. There's no way I'm doing that. And so we get in the car and we start to head to the skydiving place, right? And we get out and we start walking into the hangar, right? And, and, and over the hangar, like you start to realize that this is getting really real, really fast. And you're about to jump out of a plane <laughs> that's moving, Right? And so you walk into the hangar because you start to see these pictures and these videos of these people jumping out of the plane. And, and so the first thing they do is they take you into this little, uh, uh, little area with all these uh, uh, pens on these tables, and they hand you like a 30-sheet document that you need to sign. Right? You need to sign every sheet. Why? Because they know you could die. Right? They're like, sign this so that... If you die, right, we're not held responsible. So you're, I'm 22, I'm like, give me that pen. <laughs> Let's do this, right? And so then after you sign the documents because you could die, uh, you go into this room and they show you this 20-minute or so video, all right, about all the things like not to do, all the safety things, all the harnesses, all the stuff you need to remember, all right, and then, and then you need to sign a document that says you watched the video because you could die. <laughs> then you go into the hangar, everybody's spread out, right, and they start training you, and they start telling you how to do stuff. So you want to arch your back like this, you want to throw your hands out like this, you want to land like this. Why? Because if you don't do it this way, you could die, right? And so you want to do it this way. If you don't do it that way, you're going to die. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, right? We're going to jump out of a plane. <laughs> so next to us are the professionals. And you don't know that the professionals, you don't know, right? You don't know. They, they're, they're rolling up their, um, their parachutes and you have to roll it in a certain way because if you don't roll it up rightly, I mean... You could die, right? And so you're like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. They're rolling it up, and you're sitting there, and then uh, you realize that you're uh, about to get into the plane, all right? And, and the first time you go, it's always tandem. They don't let you go your first time and jump solo. So tandem simply means there's a dude on your back, all right? That's all it means. And so, you know, you get in this plane, and you're sitting on some dude's lap. And you gotta do the you gotta do the walk. He's like right, left, right, left, right, right. And it's super awkward, man. And you're asking him questions like, so how many times have you done this? Like more than six, <laughs> right? And you're asking him, right, because you want to be you want to be assured. But finally, you get in the plane. I was like third or fourth back, and, and you're sitting in the plane, right? And you're 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 taking off. And this girl over here is crying. Right? Like, babe, nobody's making you do this. Right? Anyway, I mean, people are like, you are crazy. You're crazy. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're kind of crazy here. We get up, and there's, there's three lights by the door. There's a red, yellow, green. And a red means you're not at the altitude that you need to be at to jump. So don't jump or you'll die. Right? And so don't jump. And then the yellow is we're at the altitude that we need to be at, but we're not over our jump spot. All right, so if you jump out now, you're going to end up somewhere else and you could die. So wait, all right, until it turns green. Now, when it turns green, all of a sudden, this, this guy gets up and he rips this door open, and you realize that you're about to jump out of a plane. It gets really loud and really windy. And this guy, I swear, he probably went through Life Point Fitness or something, but he was like, go, 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 go. Because if you don't jump now, 
You could die. And so don't hesitate, right? Get out there and do that thing. That's how LifePoint Fitness coaches work, right? And uh, anyway, so the first person jumps and you hear him scream, ah, right? But it goes away real quick. It's like, where'd they go? Like I heard them, but now they're not there. So the next person goes, and they, and they don't always go on three. They always count, but they don't go on three because it, when they get to three, you like turn around and be like, no, or you grab something and you're like, no, right? You hesitate, so they're like, one, go. And then they just push you out. So I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge, and you know, I'm immortal, so I'm like, let's do this thing. And uh, we jump, right? And you, you kick, your, kick your feet back, right? And all of a sudden, the wind, the wind like thrusts you up and you start to spin around. And I spin around and I, I'm literally like eye, eye to eye with like the plane. And I'm like flying, with, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, right? That's the plane, I'm here, I'm not touching the plane, and I'm flying. <laughs> That's the feeling you get. I'm flying. You're not falling because you don't get that drop feeling. You know, if you, if, I don't know if you know this, if you jump from a stationary building or, or something that's not moving, you get that drop feeling. But if you jump from something that's moving already, you don't get the, the drop, you just feel like you're flying, right? And so I'm out there, and for 60 seconds at 14,000 feet, I'm flying. And you can't help but be like, yeah! like... <laughs> I am the king right now. Like, I am awesome. I am flying, right? And you're flying, and you're taking it all in, and you feel free and exhilarating, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and you're looking around, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Look, there's the river, and, and look, there's the arch, because that's what you do in St. Louis every time you see it. You're like, there it is. I see it. There's the arch, right? And you're flying for a full minute. And then you, you, you pull the chute, right? And you start to go down and you see the little target that's painted on the big field and you try and go for the target. And then you land. And then I, I remember when I land, I was like, taking it all in, I said, that was awesome. Let's do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. Listen, how do you know you're controlled by the love of Christ. How do you know you're living by faith and trusting God? Well, one, it scares you a little bit, right? Two, people will question your sanity. That's crazy. And three, it's incredibly freeing. It's the most exciting, exhilarating thing you could ever imagine. And listen, when it's all said and done, when you're living a life that's living by the love of Christ, every experience you'll have, you'll look back and you'll say, oh, let's do that again. Let's do that again. And so what happens is that right now, I know that some of you are like kind of weary of the series. Maybe you're weary even as I'm talking because God has already begun to tug on your heart and show you and reveal things to you that you need to step out in faith on. That you need to actually uh, prepare some things so that you can actually advance forward as a believer in Christ. And, and right now, it's kind of scaring to you. Right now, God is, is calling some of you to give in greater ways. And you're like, that's kind of scary. Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and serve 
in greater ways. But I've never served with them before. I've never done that thing. I've never actually greeted somebody before. That kind of scares me. Or, 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 or God is calling you to step out and do really something cra- crazy or radical for God. And it's, and it's scary to you. He wants to use you to advance the gospel. And even the idea of doing something radical is a little bit terrifying. But listen, when that light turns green and God tells you to step out in faith, listen, don't, don't, don't grab the side. Don't turn around and go the other way. Trust him. Trust him because he wants to show you something amazing. He wants you to experience something amazing. And so listen, listen, here's the, here's the greatest news is God is with you. He says, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, God is greater than some dude strapped to your back. He's, he fills you with the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to be afraid and you could trust him. And you can watch what he's going to do in your life. He's got something planned for you, and it's going to be the most freeing moment. And when you look back at it, you're going to say, I want to do that again. I want to do that with my life. I want to lay down myself so that others would live. That is the most incredible freeing moment to be controlled by the love of Christ. And that's what it's about. Now, let's, let's look at the text. It's going to clo- I'm going to close with verse 16 through 20. Verse 16 through 20. He says, when the love of Christ controls you, it looks a little bit crazy because you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for him. For now on, verse 16, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Uh, what, that, what that means, a very simple explanation of that, is that when we see life, when we see the world, we don't see it in, in just temporary means anymore, fleshly, temporary things. We see eternal things. We don't regard things as just temporary. We regard them as eternal. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. The new birth, the new life, the new, the new being controlled by Christ, the new no longer living for yourself or for him. That all comes from God. We need God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me stop right there. This is what happens when you become a new creation when Christ's love now controls you, your life starts to look a little bit crazy. Why? Because your ministry in life now is the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, that's a fancy church word. Listen, your call, your job, your, your, your gift from God is a ministry of reconciliation. Look at what it says. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, meaning he was bridging that gap. He was bringing unity back to himself. All those who've wandered away, all those who've gone astray, he brings them back to himself through Christ. How? By not counting their trespasses against them. He doesn't count their sins against them, but he trusts to us the message of reconciliation. Who does he entrust the message to? Us. Now, listen to me, the ministry of reconciliation just became a message. So now it's not just a work 
or an action. It's actually a message. It's good news. He gave us the ministry of sharing the good news. Look at what it says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so God, because he makes us born again and we're controlled by the love of Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for Christ. Now we've been given a very specific ministry, a very specific message to share. And that is the message of reconciliation. That means bringing people back to God in unity with God, sharing with them that they need a righteousness that's greater than their own righteousness. And Christ is that righteousness. That Christ is the one. And so we want to help people trust and treasure Jesus for their life. That's what we're called to do. That's the why we go. That's the why we serve. That's the why we give. Because every service, every gift, every sacrificial deed, it must point to Jesus. That's what the church is about. As born-again believers, hear me. We cannot stop short with some hospitality deeds. We cannot stop with just simple goodwill offerings. Those are right and good and they have their place. But as born again believers, we cannot settle for simply making people more comfortable on their way to an internal separation from God. We can't. It's doing them a disservice. We cannot settle for making people more comfortable in in their worldly treasures when there is a heavenly treasure to be had. We've got to help people out of poverty. We have to help them get ahead. But all of those things are wonderful and necessary. But apart from reconciliation from God, listen, all those deeds and all those benefits, they're temporary at best. At best, we cannot settle for giving people what they want for really what they really need. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And let me be clear, because this text says that the ministry was given to us, meaning the church, meaning those who believe, meaning those who are controlled by the love of Christ. That's who the ministry is given to. And so listen, let me be clear. This is not the church. We are the church. All right, let me, let me narrow it for you. You are the church. You've been given this ministry. You've been given this call. You've been given a message to share. You've been given the light of the gospel Your eyes have been opened to help others trust and treasure Jesus. The Bible says that God makes his appeal through you. Together, we're stronger. We have gifts. We have talents. We have things that we can offer one another. We have different things we can offer the world. But listen, the peak of the mountain is always Jesus. The peak of our service is, is always Jesus. The, 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 the bullseye of all of our generosity is always reconciliation. 
It always is. It has to be. That means two things. Listen, if LifePoint Church is controlled by the love of Christ, our focus will always be the message of reconciliation. Listen, I'm not saying we don't meet physical needs because we do. We are Christ's ambassadors. Christ did meet physical needs. He did. So we too must help those who need. But the primary focus of both Jesus and the church is reconciling people to God. That's why Jesus didn't open every blind eye, every deaf ear. But he did die on a cross for all who would believe. Anyone who would come to him, he will save. The primary focus of our ministry must be reconciling people to God. Because we as LifePoint Church are controlled by the love of Christ, and the ministry of reconciliation is given to us as the church, Listen, our primary place of investment must be the local church. Let me say that again. If you're controlled by the love of Christ, your primary investment must be to equip the church, equip the saints, and be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. Listen, a lot of organizations do good, but the primary investment of a believer should be in the ministry of reconciliation. It ought to be. That's what we're called to do. I make a lot of investments with my life. I hope you're not denying that also. I make investments with my time. I make investments with my treasure. I make investment with my talents. I make investments into uh, you know, sports programs. And I make investments into entertainment. And I make uh, investments into luxuries and uh, time down. And I make investments into, you know, uh, all kinds of things like eating out or gym memberships. I make all kinds of investments, but I never want to forsake the first call to the church that my first investment, my best investment must not be for myself, but for others. And so for our sake, God gave his first and his best. For our sake, Jesus gave his first and his best. And so we must give our first and our best to those who don't know Christ for the sake of reconciliation, helping people trust and treasure Jesus. And I hope today you realize how important your role is. I hope you're not sitting here. We're not big enough yet, but I hope you're not sitting here looking around and say, oh, well, look at all these other people who will take the load. Look at all these other people who are going to step up. You don't really mean me. No, I do. It's going to take every one of us to pray and to prepare, and to participate. If God's going to advance this church the way I believe he wants to advance his kingdom to this world, then you are God's plan A. There's not a plan B for reconciliation. This is the church. He says, I will build my church. I will see my kingdom come. We must reach others. And so, listen, over the next two weeks, we're going to present to you for very specific needs and some very specific steps and how we as a church are going to advance in the gospel. But today I'm going to ask every one of you to pray and prepare and participate when that light turns green. Our Bible text today, it talked about the why we do what we do, but each of us today, I'm going to challenge you to begin to ask God the what. What does God want to use you for? What does God want? want you to give? What is God calling you to serve? What is God telling you to sacrifice? And I pray that the answer to your what will come out of your time with God. So before you hear my voice, 
I want you to hear God's voice and say, God, what do you want from me? Let's pray for that today. Oh, Jesus, here we are offering ourselves, asking you to speak, asking you to lead. More than anything, God, we're asking you to take control of our life. Lord, there's times or seasons that I simply live for me, and I pray that today you'll take that from me and I will live for you. That I can trust you. That I treasure you above and beyond anything else in my world. That I, I truly believe that you want to use me to advance your gospel, your good news to the world. And so Jesus, today we sit here as your children with open hands. And we're telling you, God, I'm yours. I surrender. Lead me. Tell me. Speak to me through your Holy Spirit now. What? What do you want me to give? What do you... What do you want me to do to be an ambassador for you? Jesus, make this church, make us as your people, children that are controlled by your love. Let the fact that you came and you died and you rose again, let that penetrate my heart so that I can live free, free for you. Oh, Jesus, come. Help us, oh, Lord. Help us, oh, Jesus. Help us, oh, Holy Spirit, come. Lead us in truth. Amen. Listen, if you're here... And you would say, Eric, you know...